Welcome to the Get Your Donut Podcast. We're here to exchange our consumeristic Christianity for a life fully surrendered to Christ, and to never let our faith be as simple as grabbing coffee and a donut in the lobby. Let's do this. Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Get Your Donut Podcast. My name is Noah Reed. I'm your host. And I'm hugely blessed today because we get to have uh, one of my favorite professors from Biola come on the show uh, with us. His name is Dave Keen, uh, and he's the head of the Christian Ministries Department down at Biola, uh, and as well as teaches a couple other Bible classes and whatnot. Dave, we are so grateful uh, that you're on the show with us today. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. It's good to be with you finally. Yeah, I agree. I'm so excited to hear uh, what you have to say. Our, our conversation today is going to revolve around studying our Bible, why why we should do that, uh, how how we might get started or even take that practice a little bit deeper. Um, but before we do that, I wanted to uh, just remind everyone who's listening that if you don't do so already, uh, we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at What's Up Reads and subscribe to our email newsletter using the link below. Those are really the best two ways for you guys to stay in contact with all the digital stuff that we have uh, going on. So make sure you do that. Scroll down and hit the link uh, and subscribe to our email newsletter and follow us on Instagram. Uh, well, Dave, before we get into our conversation here about studying our Bible, uh, what I would love to do is to just give our listeners an opportunity to get to know you uh, a little bit better before we jump in. And so first question I'm going to ask you is the same first question that I ask every new guest on the show, which is what is your favorite donut and why? So my favorite donut would be the French crawler donut. The, I'm not sure I'm uh-huh. saying the word correctly. Yeah, but um, that that's a hot donut at our church on a Sunday. So I usually, by the time I get to the donut table, I usually am just left with your run of the mill basic cake donut with a little <laughs> bit of pink icing or chocolate icing on it with sprinkles. So I don't know. That's you know, <laughs> I would love the French crawler if I could get to it. Yeah, be gone by the time I get there. So yeah, no, I yeah I agree. I was just talking actually to. Uh, my pastor about about donuts because apparently this is just how I spend my time. But uh, he was he said that his favorite is like a sugar twist, uh, and we were just t- appreciating like the classic donut choices over these modern you know gourmet ridiculous donuts. Uh, it was like for me, it's like why mess up a good thing? We had you know we had these wonderful classic donuts going. Uh, and we decided to to make them completely excessive. They they taste good, but I prefer uh, a classic donut like a French Crawler or a Maple Bar or a Sugar Twist or something like that. So respectable choice. Um, hey, uh, Dave, why don't you just tell us a little bit, uh, listeners, about uh, who you are and what you do, uh, kind of how you got there, uh, anything that might give us a little bit of a window into into who you are and and why we have you on the show today. Yeah, so you you already mentioned my full-time job as a professor at Bible University, but probably my more important job is being um, a husband to to Debbie. Uh, we've been married almost mm-hmm. 32 years, and I have three children. My daughter, Amy, is married, and I have a grandchild through, with her. My son, Adam, uh, married with a, a, a granddaughter through him, and then our youngest son, Fundo, uh, just turned 16, and we adopted him. Uh, from South Africa. Um, Our family, though, has been going through difficulties the last year and a half as my oldest son, Adam, passed away suddenly of a brain aneurysm, leaving 
his uh, wife and child very unexpectedly. So a lot of this past year has been dealing with that and grieving that he was a youth pastor. And, and so that really has has shaped a lot of what my focus has been and, and a lot of just, you know, searching God's word just for comfort and support, you know, um, God's word has been definitely a strength during that time. So, and then, uh, in my spare time, I'm the lead pastor at a church in San Clemente, <laughs> California, where I live, and I finally get to ride on boy, uh, fulfill my boyhood dream of riding on fire trucks. I'm the senior chaplain for Orange County Fire. So, wow. if I'm not at the beach and I'm not at the school and I'm not at the church. I'm riding on a fire truck. So. <laughs> yeah, man, you wear a lot of hats, Dave, and uh, that's something I, I always ad- admired about you and just capacity that you and your family have, and uh, it it has been such a a tragedy this year. I know you guys losing uh, your son, Adam, and we we knew Adam uh, and just thought he was just amazing. And everybody that I know who knew Adam spoke incredibly highly of him and his love for the Lord, his family uh, and ministry. And you guys have, have actually started something to honor his memory and to help others in ministry. And I was wondering if you'd tell us a little bit about the foundation that you guys have started. Yeah. So it's called the Adam Keen Foundation. And maybe Noah, you could link it in some kind of description of this Podcast, yeah, I will. That people can get to the website, but it's it's Adam Keen Foundation, and and basically it's a foundation that is seeking to encourage and equip and empower young youth pastors like Adam. So we don't run a program, we don't uh, have you know things we sell. We basically uh, try to fund young youth pastors' dreams. So the idea is like, how do we mm-hmm. come alongside a a young man or woman in ministry and want to encourage them to think deeper, more broadly, more outside the box. And a lot of times being young in ministry, they don't have the coaching they need. So we provide it through other yeah. resources or maybe their church is small and they have a dream of doing something larger. So, all right, let, let us fund that. And so we um, we're kind of a grant writing foundation to young youth pastors to keep them in the game. Wow. So, that is really cool. And, and just an amazing way too, to honor Adam. Thank you guys for, for doing that and for starting that. Um, today is, is a special treat for, for me and a conversation that I, I think our listeners are really going to enjoy because we're going to, we're going to talk about what it looks like to study our Bibles with, uh, a man who's been teaching this exact topic at the college level for a while. I remember being in your methods of Bible study class, um, and I know that that class uh, framed and strengthened my understanding of scripture, my approach to interacting with God's word. And so I'm really grateful, Dave, that we get to have you uh, in this conversation today. Uh, and then again, just grateful for you uh, finding the time to come on and, and have this conversation as well. Um, so I, I'd love to start by just laying a little bit of groundwork. And before we get into actually what it looks like to study our Bible, I want to ask the question, why should we study our Bibles? Why is that important? Why do we do that? Uh, and then maybe kind of a follow-up to that is how have you seen the study of scripture impact your walk with Christ? You know, a great place to start, I think, is in Psalms 19. And when you come back and you realize that God has always been revealing himself to humanity. In other words, hmm. God's design was always to be known. He never was a hidden God. He never was a far off God. He created humanity to be in intimate relationship with him. And so creation, it starts off in Psalms 19, just displaying the glory of God continuously with passion. 
The problem is that the two things we really do know about God through creation is that there is a God and I'm not it. Right. Oh, wow. The yeah. very limited capacity. Yes, you can see God is powerful. Yes, you can see God is creative. Yes, you can see a lot of other things that God is orderly. But when you boil it down, we don't know what God requires of us. Hmm. We don't know, you know, how to be in right relationship with this God. And what you see is throughout history, pagan cultures saying there's a God and I have to get God to be happy with me on my terms. And so they come up with these crazy stories to explain God does X, Y, and Z. So that's why I sacrificed this or that or that, you know, but it's never what God wanted. Wow. And the good news is, as it says in Psalms 19, that God has revealed himself, not just in creation, but in his written word. And so seven times, or sorry, six times, it has this kind of this sequencing of the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. And it kind of describes God's word six different ways and the impact upon us in this sixfold manner. And what it's saying is God's written revelation is so much more precious to me because I'm warned about what the Almighty God doesn't want with me to be a bald in. And it gives me great reward in knowing how to live in right relationship with God and not just God, but because God created life and ordained my days and instituted marriage and family that gives me wisdom how to live my life on earth so mm. that, you know, I don't have to keep guessing. You know, I, I think in many ways people think, wow, the Old Testament law was so, you know, such a clamp down on our expression. I'm so glad I live in an era of grace. And yet the Old Testament law was the greatest gift of love God gave that early people group of the Israelites because it was God revealing to them, here's what I want with you and here's how I will bless you. And so in many ways, the law of the Lord was good and perfect and loving. Yeah, it didn't get them to the nth degree. It was meant to show you I'm not perfect. I'm not God. I need a Savior. So that's why the, the law was fulfilled in Christ, as it talks yeah. about in Matthew. That's what Paul looks at. We now live under grace, but that wasn't the abandonment of the Jewish law. It was the fulfillment. In other words, as Paul lived his life as an apostle who started his life as a Pharisee, he really was fulfilling what the Jewish trajectory was going to be. That mm -hmm. it was always meant to be found life in the Messiah, living in his you know resurrected power and, and being reestablished into a right relationship with God. It was never meant to be accomplished by the law, as Paul talks about in Romans 3. And yet it started there. And, and if, you know, so when you think about the law, Paul talks about, man, you're, you, you've been made wise for salvation through the law. You know, mm -hmm. if you go back to 2 uh, Timothy 3, that's where many people think about, oh, yeah, God's word is inspired, you know. But yeah. if you look at the context of that proclamation and starting in verse 10, Paul tells Timothy, hey, you know everything about my life, my teaching, my purpose, how I was persecuted for all these things, right? And, and he's, he goes into this because he says, I want you to see how I have lived out my faith in, in, in radical ways. Um, and then he makes this powerful statement. He says, um, you know, you know, continue what you have learned and been con convinced in um, because you know whom you've learned it 
and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Then he says, all scriptures God breathes. So what Paul's saying is the Old Testament by itself would be able to show you the path to salvation that you would wow. see now revealed in Jesus Christ or fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So when you think about why do we need the Word of God, it's because the Word of God does the amazing work of bringing us to an understanding of how yeah. to be restored into a right relationship with God instead wow. of walking around in confusion, trying to say, what does God <laughs> want from me? Or yeah. walking around in pride thinking, well, I know what God wants or this is what I want to do. And therefore I'm going to force God to accept me on my terms. And that's just like yeah. so backwards of how to think. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's extremely helpful. And I think just the picture of uh, you know, God has chosen to reveal himself and his plan and his design through his word. Uh, and, and whether we like that or not, that's the reality of how he chose to do that. And so we're going to, we engage, uh, with scripture in that way, because that's how God's chosen to communicate with us is through, uh, his word. And it's not that he can't communicate in other ways, but that's the, one of the the biggest ways in which he's chosen to reveal who he is to us, who he wants us to be, uh, what he's asking of us. It's, it's all there, uh, in scripture. And I think that's a huge reason of why, we engage in it that way. Um, on on a personal note, can you think of any ways in which uh, a study of Scripture has impacted your walk with Christ? Well, I would say that's how I came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. Was mm. um, it wasn't? You know, I, I was raised growing up in the church. I mean, I was one of those kids that went from the hospital nursery to the church nursery. I didn't pass go. I didn't collect $200. <laughs> I was at church all the time. And I learned early on, like, well, if you memorize your Bible and you did all these things and you got rewarded. And so it was just a game to me. And when yeah. I was in middle school, I, I just said, God, you know, if that's all there is to this game of being nice and going along with the, you know, the flow at church, then I'm ready for a new game. I'm bored. But if you're not just about being nice and you really, there's something more for me than show me. And and I it wasn't some audible voice from heaven, but it, it literally was just reading God's word and seeing in scripture how much God's purpose for my life revolved around a relationship with him that he yeah. wanted to be known by me and he wanted to know me and he had a purpose for my life. And then, you know, so I would say it really was a love for scripture that, shaped my response to the gospel. And it was the consistency of reading scripture that really sustained my wife and I when our son passed away, that um, mm. we never stopped reading our Bible. We we definitely struggled, I would say, with the gentleness with God. Um, we had a hard time sometimes worshiping, you know, singing songs about, you know, God's never failed me yet because it felt like God failed me, Right. But that's yeah. the beauty of scripture. I mean, scripture gives us all these psalms of lament where I could be like David and cry out to God and 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 voice my frustration to God. And I could could yeah. respond like David did and still be faithful to God. And what was interesting is as I recognized um as I was going through this journey a year ago that I'm still on, that the the story that Jesus tells in the Sermon on the Mount about the wise man and the foolish man. And they both hear the teachings of Jesus. But the difference is the wise man obeys the teachings. And so when the storm comes and the floods rage, 
his house stands firm on the foundation because he's obeyed the teachings of Jesus. And I would say in my naivete, I, I used to think that meant like, well, the house was perfect, right? He, The rain came and man, everything's wonderful. And then I realized, you know what? If he really went through a storm, if the floodwaters were raging against that foundation, I bet you there's roof damage and the windows are blown out. And yet the foundation stood firm. Hmm. And that's exactly what wow. I would say my life has been for the last year and a half. That is, I have grieved deeply the loss of Adam and the loss of what, you know, I don't understand how a young youth pastor could be taken, you know, so suddenly by brain aneurysm. And yet the foundation of my faith has stood. I still believe God is good. I believe he's loving. I don't understand him. I question why he's not a gentle God, like I used to think. Um, but the foundation has endured. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm even more focused on the resurrection and the and, and the promise of heaven than ever before. In fact, I spent most of last summer after Adam passed just studying God's word about what God revealed about heaven, because I was really had a cartoonish view of heaven, I think. Like I viewed heaven kind of like, oh, you're, you know, floating on a cloud, playing yeah. a harp, doing a worship <laughs> service. Like, I don't want that. Why would I want to go to heaven now? Because I'm yeah. boring to me. And yet I would say after reading all the scriptures and studying the scriptures in heaven, I am more excited about heaven now than ever before. And wow. that's that's what's gotten us through is the hope of heaven that that we're looking forward to that day. And to understand that there are certain things about where Adam's at now that he's seeing things and is aware of things that we could like really understand. There's a presence that he still um, is able to have um, and yeah. not ghostly form, but just in some way that you know, scripture I do believe shows that teaches that people in heaven are aware of things that are going on earth. They're not yeah. in a soul sleep state. And so I think scripture really has, allowed me to grieve as I've gone through the Psalms of Lent. It's allowed me to process my doubt and my confusion. It's allowed me to, to stand up again and to rebuild my foundation. You know, it, you know, I, I, I'm so much like that dad whose son was demonic in the, in the script or in the gospels. When G, he goes to Jesus, he's like, help me if you can. And, and he's like, anything's possible to him who believes. And he says in the same breath, I believe help my unbelief. I think that's what scripture does. Scripture takes our belief and it enhances the areas where we struggle with unbelief. Because wow. I don't think most people can go zero to 60. Like I just take everything, you know, whatever. Yeah. The, Bible. <laughs> yeah. the Bereans were encouraged for questioning what Paul was teaching and going back to the scriptures and asking deeper questions and evaluating. And so I think, we have to do the same thing. We have to study God's word. We have to meditate on God's word. We have to seek the power of God's word to really help us through these challenges because so often life gives us questions that we don't have answers for. Yeah. And sometimes that creates this spiritual, you know, downfall for us because like we feel like the Christian should have no doubts and the Christian should have every answer. And the reality is you're not going to start that way. You're going to have no. doubt. You're going to have questions and it's only by meditating on God's word. It's only by studying God's word that eventually I think you're able to overcome those doubts with an assurance yeah. of faith, you know, yeah. and, and to say, okay, I'm, I need to have my assurance in the right thing. It's not that God is going to make my life easy and happy and good. It's just that God is going to sustain me until I'm in heaven. 
And that's right. the goal. The goal is to be with the Lord forever in the house, in Amen. his house. So, yeah. Amen. So I would say, you know, we have leaned heavily into scripture to get us through this season. Yeah. No, thank you for sharing that. It's uh, enlightening and encouraging uh, for myself. And as we kind of shift our conversation to talk about what it looks like to study our Bibles, I thought we'll just start with what's the difference, I guess, Dave, between reading and studying our Bible? Like, can we differentiate between those two? Are they the same thing? Uh, and then how would we get started uh, learn, learning how to study our Bibles better? They are the same thing, I really do believe. The problem is that most people read to check something off their to-do list. Hmm. In other words, if you approach scripture like a homework assignment, it's going to be very lifeless. If you approach scripture like, hey, I'm hanging out with a good friend catching up, or I'm spending this time talking with my spouse, you go into it with a different attitude, Right. It's still yeah. talking, but if it's simply like, I got to go talk to this person because I got this homework assignment, you're not going to have the right approach to it. And so I would say, I wouldn't say you have to do anything really different, except for maybe like the time you give it, right? Don't rush through it, hmm. right? Really try to say, okay, you know, I, I only have, and this means many days, I only have you know, 20 minutes to, to read my Bible. Okay. Then maybe not try to read this long chapter. Maybe just read this story, half a chapter, this paragraph, and just, you know, really kind of process what is God trying to communicate in this, this passage. And so I think yeah. um, our reading can be very life-giving if we go into it say, okay, God, help me understand what your message in this is. Wow. No, that's, that's really good. And and I felt like just convicted as you were talking, because I do that all the time where I open my Bible uh, because that I know that I should, or because I know I said I was going to do it every day this week. And so I open it up and I spend time with God and on the days where I can feel the pressure or anxiety of like the day's tasks kind of weighing in on that time, those are the days that if I don't push those things back out and kind of protect like the unhurried spending time with the Lord, but I let those things kind of crash in, uh, even in as simple a way as like checking my phone during that time. Yeah. If I check my email during that time, then all of a sudden that yeah. time becomes so much more rushed and it does, it becomes like, okay, well, let me finish reading my chapter, uh, so that I can, you know, respond to these emails that I just saw. Uh, but on the days where, you know, wherever it is, I, I leave my phone, you know, on the bookshelf or something like that. And I just spend unhurried time with God. You're right. I, I didn't even realize this until you're speaking, but those are the days that I walk away from scripture feeling strengthened and refreshed and encouraged in my walk with the Lord, where I walk away feeling like I learned something or I grew closer to, to God, or I just had like good time, like you said, with an old friend catching up where I felt like, oh, we haven't had that in a long time. And it was good. It's refreshing uh, to my soul. I, I'm wondering, Dave, are there, are there any like specific kind of either practices or, or ideas or methods or anything that you might recommend if we're going to, if we want to start shifting our time? So maybe I, I often spend it as like a checklist with the Lord and reading my, and reading God's word. But if I want to start to shift that time to more of a 
studying and reading and meditating, like if I want to be able to make that shift, is is there any kind of like first couple of steps or methods that you might recommend uh, or be able to explain to help us understand how to kind of make that shift a little bit? Yeah. So the first thing that I would encourage you to do is to think about the rhythms that you are embracing as you read. In other words, for myself, um, I have the practice. I do my, you know, get up in the morning, shower, because I have to take a shower to wake up, get my coffee, because I need my coffee to wake up, <laughs> and then, you know, spend time with God before I rush out the door or, you know, look at my email. So I always try to say, I'm going to read my Bible before I look at my email. Okay. okay. So if I know that routine takes me 45 minutes, then I need to say, all right, then I need to, if I have to leave by eight, then I need to get up no later than seven, right? So that I have the space to do it. And so I'm not trying to pigeonhole God in somewhere. He's part of my rhythm of the day, right? So most of us have a rhythm in the morning, like you're going to get dressed, right? No one's going to walk out the door in their pajamas usually, no one's going to walk out the door without deodorant, you know? And so I have these rhythms that I know I need to do. It takes a certain amount of time to do it. So I find reading God's word in the morning is most applicable because then I can spend the whole day refreshing my mind and meditating on that thought. You know what I mean? Because yeah. uh, I don't have hours to sit there and meditate on God. So I try to take that passage I read and think about it throughout the day versus all at one time. And so by doing my quiet time, my time with God first thing in the morning, it allows for that. So I, so the second thing I do is I have this rhythm that is an, as a regular rhythm of how my day goes. So my, my, my mind and my soul are anticipating what that's going to be in the time that it takes to do that. The second thing I think is very helpful is I go to the same spot in my house every day to do my time with God. Oh, interesting. Because there really is something called muscle memory. In other words, your body starts to know when you're in this position, when you're, this is what you can expect. And, and your mind is more easily able to do that. So for myself, like if I'm going to study or, or, or write for, the school or for something, I, there's like a couple places in my house I could do that. I can't just do it anywhere. I can't just do it at any time. And so my brain has kind of kind of learned like we do our very creative writing in the morning. Okay. So, you know, so the same thing. So find the same chair, find the same location in your house, make that your God place. Not that you're limited there because obviously you can be with God anywhere, but you're, what you're doing is you're training your mind and your soul to yeah. engage with God and preparing to be with God. So I think part of it is just sometimes the way you approach reading scripture. The second or third step, whatever we're on now, is as you start to read, really start to observe what's the context of this passage. Start with, okay, what's the literary context? How was this written? Is this a gospel? So it's a bunch of stories and sermons meant to persuade us to believe Jesus is the Messiah. Is it an Old Testament narrative that's just telling us what happened, the good and the bad? Is it, uh, you know, an Old Testament law that's giving us principles to live by that may not be completely like for the letter for us today, but there's definitely a principle behind it that we have to live by? Is it wisdom literature? That is how God usually works or a promise that he's making. So understanding how this was intended to be read is a good starting point. And then when you're reading through many things, say, okay, 
who wrote this and who is it written to? So, if, and, and who's involved in the story? So if you're reading a story about Jesus, like who's in the audience that he's doing this miracle with? Who's in the audience when he's teaching? Because hmm. he's going to be teaching this story or doing this miracle. Focus on the people that are directly in front of him. He he thought about you 2,000 plus years later, but it wasn't told and written for us 2,000 years later. We're looking in on that. So understanding the context of how this was written both from a literary point of view and then from a historical point of view will really then give you the right ways of understanding the message or the key idea that God once communicated in that passage. The The fourth thing I would encourage you to do, and, and sometimes you might have to pause this podcast to take these kind of notes because I know in, in class students had the ability to <laughs> raise their hand and I repeat it. But the fourth thing I would encourage you to do is look for patterns. In other words, what is something that's repeated over and over again? What's something that is just dominating the text because of how detailed the discussion regarding this is? Yeah. Um, you know, there's certain literary terms that are used that are helping us to see this is more important than other things. And so just look for patterns that would help you to see this is really a key idea that God is communicating. And then Try to, as you're reading through the chapter, try to just go paragraph by paragraph, not verse by verse, but larger chunks, because your Bible scholars, when they interpreted the scriptures, they grouped like-minded ideas together into a paragraph, and then the next like-minded idea was the next paragraph of verses. Go paragraph by paragraph. See if you could summarize that. So as you're after you read it all the way through, go back and say, okay, okay here's how Paul started his argument in this chapter and here's what he built to. And here's the third thing that he got into, because that helps you to see, do I understand the flow of what is being communicated? Because you always want to ask yourself, what does God want me to understand in this passage based on what God included in this passage? Never say this means to me because you didn't write it. So the, yeah. the, the meaning is not up to you. The interpretation is up to you. So you have to do the hard work. So, okay, God, what did you mean in this passage? And then how do I apply that to my life is, is, is good. But you want to start to say, okay, do I understand the flow? Um, if you have more time, that's where online resources like blueletterbible.org would be a helpful uh -huh. resource. You can then look up something if you have a question, but always leave that till later. Don't let someone else's ideas about God's word so influence what God wants to say to you through this passage mm. that you only are listening to other people. Start with reading yeah. the passage, observing what's going on in the passage, trying to understand the flow of the thought in the passage. And then if you have a question, then go to an outside resource. Okay, what does other people say about this? The last thing I would say is, if it takes you five minutes to read a, a chapter, and that's probably about what it takes to read a chapter, yeah. then that should be about the same amount of time you pause to think about the chapter. In oh, words, wow. Okay. If, if, you know, because if you're, if you're rushing to read and then you're like, oh, I'm on my next thing, then you haven't meditated on God's word, hmm. right? Meditation says, okay, God, what, how do I apply this message to my life? How do I live this truth out? What needs to change in this? What do you have for me? So if it takes me three minutes to read the chapter, cause it's a short chapter, then then I should spend about three minutes to just sit there and say, God, what do you have for me here? All right. You just spoke to me in this passage. Let me now process that thought so I can speak back to you in prayer and in and my obedience. Right. And so it really takes that pausing and meditating. It takes this into a dialogue and not just a, you know, a random, all right, I did it, check, moving on. And now I've forgotten what I just read, you know, yeah. as I'm in the day. Yeah. So. No, that's 
all in, all incredibly helpful. And a couple of the things that stuck out to me as you were talking is like to to read and interact with scripture, like how you just described, requires what we were talking about earlier, which is being uh, present and not in a hurry and not in a checklist mode. Like you can't engage with scripture in the way that you just described and be in a hurry to get out the door or, you know, you're on a plan where you're supposed to be reading whatever it is. A, a oh, massive yeah. chunk of scripture. I'm not a big fan of reading the Bible in a year <laughs> because that pushes us too fast. I'm, I'd much rather say, you know what, have a plan to read through the gospels in a year, have yeah. a plan to read through Paul's letters in a year, have a plan yeah. to read through the law in a year, because then you have the time to read it. I was meant to be read where you're yeah. just sitting in God's word and just meditating. That's exactly what was coming to my mind too, as you were speaking was even just feeling like, Oh my gosh, there's so much that I know that I have missed in my devotion time or my time with the Lord, because I was too concerned with finishing the passage. I said I was going to read and not giving time to what you said, like reading a chunk and then sitting with it. And I don't do that well at all because I, I am a checklist kind of a person. I love to cross things off my list. I love to look back on the day and say, I completed, you know, this many things today. And if I, if I'm reading smaller portions of scripture, but I'm understanding them much better, the shift for me in my yes. mind is to know that that's actually accomplishing a lot more than, Hey, I read six chapters today, as opposed to I got a way deeper understanding of these six words, if you will, than I than I would have had if I just kind of skimmed over them and sped up. And then exactly. the second thing, the second thing that you said that really stuck out to me that I wanted to uh, point out was that when we come to to read our Bibles like this, there's a huge uh, a huge call almost to leave some like a lot of our assumptions behind and to read it uh, not with our own like preconceived this is what the Bible is going to say to me, but to come to it and say, what is God going to say today? Instead of, I I come often with these, oh, I know, you know, I know some of the teachings of Jesus. So as I interact with the gospel, like, you know, I know what to expect. And instead of coming like that and reading it through my specific, like lens of what I'm already expecting, just coming to scripture in a humble way and saying, what's what's here already not not what am i bringing in to add to it but what's already here that god wants me to learn from or god wants to show me about himself uh that that part really stuck out to me as well and then the last thing i was going to say that that you already touched on is the idea of not being so quick to jump to kind of the other study materials and whatnot but allowing time to seek to understand it for ourselves first and i think uh, it was either you or or Dana uh, during my time at Viola, but that when we talked about preparing messages uh, and sermons, doing the same thing and seeking to write a sermon with what we believe God is telling us the text understands, and then using all of these study tools, commentaries, and those things to make sure that we're on the right track and that we've fallen in line with you know what a, a good host of other Christians have found <laughs> the passage to mean, so that we're not off on our own, but. Uh, when we just jump straight to those things and we kind of live vicariously through somebody else's study, we miss out on the beauty of our individual relationship with God by time and his word. And it's and it's me and God and his word and he's speaking to me. Uh, but if I just jump right around to, well, what do other people think it means? Or, you know, what did it mean to the person who wrote this at Blue Letter Bible? I, I miss out on that opportunity to have right. that moment with God. That's right. 
Dave, I, I've really appreciated our conversation and appreciated having you on the show. And I think there's just a lot here to help us understand how to engage uh, and interact with scripture better. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure, brother. Love you, man. We'll talk soon, I hope. Sounds good. Love you too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Get Your Donut Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And if you liked what you heard, rate the show and leave us a review. That helps other people find us and it lets us know how you feel about it. I hope you have an awesome day and that you never settle for anything less than all in with Jesus.